Welcome. You're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. If you have a Bible, jump to Philippians. We started a series in Philippians and we're going to be there a while. We're not going to get very far tonight. Apologies in advance. Anybody really good at calligraphy? Like creative? No? Me either. My wife, uh, I married into creativity. I'm, I'm very grateful. My wife took a class in calligraphy. You know, she can do all the swoopy letters. And she loves to write letters to people. Does anybody, does anybody still write letters to people? Yeah? Like, I'm talking pen and paper, like stamping an envelope. Okay, cool. Isn't it just nice getting, like, a letter in the mail? My, my wife comes by it, honestly, she had great encouragement. When she was in second grade, she wrote a poem that was accepted in a statewide anthology. When I was in second grade, I like, my parents paid to put my own in there and I had the book and it really, really it's not a big, as big a deal when you actually pay to do that, but uh, she wrote a really cool poem and her grandfather um, started writing her letters signed by the likes of Ogden Nash and Robert Frost and Elizabeth Barrett Browning, these great poets of old. And, and, and at the end of each letter, he signed their name and had some of their works collected in there. And they celebrated and congratulated her accomplishment and encouraged her to keep on writing. And it you know, took years for her to realize these people have been dead for years and years and years. But it like sparked something in her heart. And so my wife loves to write letters to people. Those of you that do write letters, and even if it's not on pen and paper, you know, we all send emails to people all of the time. Do you guys like have a, have like a, a traditional sign off? Yeah? Yeah, like thanks or see you later or have a good day. What about cheesy ones? Y'all come across any cheesy ones before? No? Yeah? Yeah? What about Christian cheesy ones? Yeah? I mean, listen, I'm not trying to poke fun. Uh, you know, signing off with Christian niceties is a good thing. But let's be honest, there are some really corny ones. And, and I'm about to pick fun at like two or three of them. I'm apologizing in advance if you use these. Uh, so you can definitely still get mad at me, but I'm, I'm being proactive here. Like uh, I saw one that, uh, that, that says, under Aslan's paw. <laughs> Narnia fans, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, uh, or in the blood, that's a good one. But if you send it to someone who doesn't get it, then they may be responding and needing some clarification like, dude, what? What, what is going on? Or in him, in who, what, did, what are you talking about? This one was crazy. I am what the I am says I am. <laughs> Thank you for that laugh. That was great. I love it. That was awesome. Or anchored to the rock. I've actually used that one before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Tina's like, or Janice's like, yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one later. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for the shout. That's great. Or I could see, I see uh, waiting for the trumpet sound, waiting for the trumpet blast. Okay. Uh, Paul's letters don't usually have sign-offs, okay? No catchy outros for Paul, no under Aslan's paw for the Apostle Paul. For the most part, the form of the New Testament epistle followed many of the ancient letter writing conventions of the day. There's a greeting, okay? There's an introduction, an identification of the author, 
who the recipients are, there's the body, and then there's usually a benediction. And people tend to gloss over the introductions and the benedictions, you know, to hurry up and get to the really good stuff, the meat of the New Testament epistle. And so, you know, as a corrective, we're just going to kind of hang out tonight in the introduction. Verse 1 and verse 2. Yeah, I know, two verses. How can I possibly wax eloquently for 20 plus minutes on two verses? It's actually quite easy. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 1. And I hope some of you will email me this week with other corny sign-offs that you find just to, to, to bring me a chuckle. Uh, there's lots to be found in Paul's introduction, the first two verses in the letter of Philippians. What we see in these first two verses is that our introduction to the gospel hangs on two truths that tell us three things. Yeah, three things. Two truths that tell us three things. The three things are who we are, where we are, and what are we called to. Okay, verse two verses, we've got two truths and three things. So let's dive in. Philippians chapter one, verse one and two. If you don't have a Bible, you have a phone. If you don't have a phone, we have a screen. Philippians one, verse one and two. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, question. How does Paul identify or describe himself and Timothy here? Speak up. Servants. Servants, thank you. Anybody got a different translation? I know y'all all don't have ESV out there. Bond servants, okay. Anybody else? Anybody got the NASB, NASB? Yeah, what's that give you? Bond servants as well? Some translations say slaves. The word is doulos. And it's interesting, all three of those words are correct depending on the context of the passage. And Paul wants us to see here one whose will, okay, is swallowed up in the will of another, okay? A doulos, a slave, was someone who willingly came and placed themselves underneath somebody else, okay? And lived for the pleasure of one another even at the detriment to or disregard of their own interest. Paul understood that his first birth, you know, when he was first born, that he was born dead in his sins and trespasses and that he was a prisoner, right? That he was captive, a slave to sin, captive to Satan. But because of his new birth, because of what God had done through Christ on the cross, that Paul was now born again into a position of loving submission and service to Jesus. He had a new master. And so what were chains to sin before were now cords of love. And so Paul understood that the role of a servant, of a bond servant, of a slave was what the call in his life was. He wouldn't move without marching orders from Jesus, right? Like he wanted to live as Jesus lived in the flesh. And if you look at John specifically, John's gospel, Jesus never went where the father didn't tell him to go. He never said what the father didn't say. He never did what the father didn't do. He never moved on of his, of his own initiative. He always wanted to live dependently because of the father. And so Paul lived and wanted to operate in this same way. And so Paul opens up this letter and he calls himself a servant, a bond servant. Now it's interesting, here and three other letters that Paul writes, of the 13, he opens in this same way, calling himself a servant or a bondservant. This letter, both Thessalonians and Philemon, they're the only other letters that open in this way, which means he, he lacks the introduction as an apostle. 
right? Paul doesn't assert his authority here. He's not making a statement of his official position that he writes to these guys. He's not introducing himself and calling to mind what right he has to speak into their lives as he does in all of the other epistles. Why do you think he does that? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is humbling. And he is apostle. And in many other, many other epistles he writes and he claims apostleship as well. And so he humbles himself before the Philippians. Why do you think that is though? What did we see last week as we looked in the book of Acts and the relationship that he had with these people? You know, I think Paul's not writing to them as one as an apostle because he, he, he knew that he didn't need to tell them what to do but that because of his relationship and his friendship with them, they would respond and they would do what he told them. He would follow their advice because he saw Lydia's face and her family as he wrote to them. And he saw that slave girl, that demonic slave girl who I'm, I'm hoping and claiming she believed in the Lord and the Philippian jailer and his family. Remember, I, I told you Philippians is one of the only letters in which Paul doesn't swing the heresy hammer from the get-go, right? It's colored with favor. He's writing to friends in Galatians, man, he's blunt. He calls these guys out for departing from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls them idiots in chapter three. He's like, guys, you're departing from the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, man, he blasts their idolatry and their passions and their pursuits of pleasures in the flesh. 2 Corinthians, he defends his apostleship, but not here in Philippi because he has an intimate relationship with these believers, which tells us something really interesting about the dynamics of Christian love and admonition. The way genuine Christian love and concern manifest Manifests itself looks differently depending on the context and the circumstances. And so Paul's desire for truth to prevail in a church like Galatia was as much a function of his love as it was for truth to prevail in a church like Philippians. Sometimes our love to one another demands us to speak the hard word. And sometimes our friends don't love us enough to tell us the truth. So God has to send an adversary to speak the truth to you in love. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can, we can take something from Paul's letters here and see that sometimes we just need to encouragingly love a brother and sister, but sometimes we, we need to call them out. <laughs> sometimes we need to say, yo, that, that choice is inconsistent with who you are in Jesus Christ. Cut it out. And so Paul says, hey, I'm a bondservant. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. And then what does he say? He identifies the recipients. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. Paul addresses this letter to the saints in Christ Jesus. What do you hear in that word saints? What do you hear in that word? Would it be more awkward if I put the Jeopardy music on after I ask a question? What is a saint? A believer, okay. You mean it's not someone who we venerate and esteem highly and, and place great accolades on them because of their behavior and their performance? Oh, a saint is simply someone who has been set apart by God and for God. Somebody that who is distinct. This word, this word saints, it, it speaks ultimately of separation, right? Of being different, of being distinct and set apart. And Paul took this word right out of the religious discussions of his day. See, in the Greek of his day, the word literally meant devoted to the gods. For example, somebody rich in, the, in his day would, would build this magnificent temple, right? And pour lots of resources into it. And then they would dedicate it to one of the gods. 
right? And when they dedicated it to one of the gods, it would be set apart from any secular use. It was dedicated for religious purposes. It was consecrated to the worship of that God and that God only. The building was therefore holy. Doesn't mean that it was pure or it was free from defilement or immorality, but holy in the sense of being strictly set apart. It was religious in nature. And so what I see here is Paul speaking to identity before he ever speaks to performance. This is huge. Paul begins speaking to who they are before he ever tells them to do anything. That's the gospel right there. So he calls them saints. And then what does he say? They are saints that are where? Where are these saints? Oh, say it like you mean it. In Christ Jesus. Man, this is, this is perhaps one of Paul's greatest designations. And as far as I can tell, this is a term that he and he alone coined. Something that I think he picked up from Acts chapter 9 when he realized and met Jesus on the road. And Jesus said, yo, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, wait a second, persecuting you, Jesus. I'm persecuting your followers. And at that moment, Paul, for the first time, saw that there is something indivisible about Jesus and his followers, union. That when someone confesses faith in Christ, they are in Christ. And so being in Christ to Paul, man, it meant to be situated in such a vital relationship with Christ that the believer lived by his life and that Christ Jesus lives now by the believer's life. Talking about indivisible union, no distance at all whatsoever, right? And so for For Paul, being in Christ was about Jesus being the very sphere and the very realm in which all of life now happened for believers. All of one's interests, all of one's hopes, all of one's visions and dreams and passions, even all of one's sinful choices. Because, I mean, if we're in Christ and that's the realm in which we live, then we even make our sinful choices in Christ, right? That's that's a whole nother sermon. Y'all ain't ready for that one. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saints in Christ at Philippi. In Christ at Philippi. In Christ at the drive, right? In Christ at First Baptist. In Christ at the dead end job, okay? In Christ at a place of discontentment. In Christ at odds in a relationship, in Christ, at a crossroads, right? Listen, guys, if you belong to Jesus, that you are in Christ before you are ever anywhere else, which means that the contents of your life, Jesus, trumps your context. So stop believing the lie that if you can just get out of here and get over there, then things will be better. No, 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 you gotta, you gotta come to grips with the contents. Paul says you are in Christ. Young lady, you are in Christ before you are ever stuck in a state of singleness. Dude, you too. And so Paul is acknowledging here that there is a greater reality, right? And he speaks of this from numerous places in the New Testament. And bear with me for this rabbit trail because it's really important. This, this rabbit trail was a game changer for me. Both in 2 Corinthians 4 and in Colossians 3, Paul speaks of fixing our eyes and setting our mind on things above and not below. Like, for example, jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 if you have a Bible and it will be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a couple of pages to the left. 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. He's talking about the context of just being beat down. Verse 17, he talks about momentary light afflictions preparing for us this eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. And the only way we can really come to grips with that truth is verse 18. So as we, verse 18, look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, I found that this concept is a bit difficult to wrap our minds around. So do me a favor, right? Imagine a line right here, okay? Imagine a line. Use, use your imagination here, okay? And above the line, okay, is the unseen and the eternal. And below the line is the seen and the temporal. For those of you that don't know how to use your imagination, I drew you a picture, okay? Do you see it? Yeah, it's all, the lights are going on. That's what he means by a line. I didn't really understand. Now, of course, there's no such thing as a line, right? These realms, they coexist, okay? The unseen and the eternal dwells in the midst of the seen and the temporal. But because we think in concepts, a line is helpful for us to understand what Paul is trying to get at here. And so above the line, right, is the realm of, I don't really know any other way to say this, but above the line is the realm where God dwells in his righteousness and holiness, and it is the realm of God's absolutes, okay? It is the realm of spirit. It is the realm of changelessness and timelessness where God's yes and God's amen are always happening with perfect obedience, right? And so it's, it's above the line where, 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 we could, where we could say it is the realm of I am, okay? The realm of I am. It can be illustrated by the word now, Okay, below the line, though, is the visible and the temporal, the seen and the transient. We call it the natural realm, right? Paul calls it this age. It's the created realm of matter and appearances. It has a beginning and an end. It's the realm of the past, the present, and the future, birth, life, and death. Sowing, growing, reaping, activity, process, need. It's where we see things and touch things and experience things. It's where we see both good and evil. It's the realm where we often say, man, I really want to grow in Christ. And so whereas above the line is the realm of I am, below the line is the realm of I am Becoming. Now, we're not talking about Greek dualism, okay? We're not talking about Gnosticism, where we are trumpeting and championing the spiritual realm as if it's all pure and all important and everything down here below the line that's created is not important and unreal and, and, and unimportant. We're not saying that at all. We're just joining with Paul and acknowledging there's a difference. And that Paul says we are to fix our eyes, to set our mind on things above. Now, why the detour? Because it is an above-the-line truth that we are in Christ. While it is a below-the-line reality that we are at Philippi, First Baptist, at the drive, at our dead-end job, at a place of discontentment, at wherever. See, it is an above-the-line truth that we are in Christ, saints, holy, distinct, and set apart, even though, listen to me, below the line, our behavior at times doesn't look very saint-like or holy. Above the line, we are complete in Christ, being filled to the fullness of God, Colossians chapter 2. And it is below the line where we don't feel very complete. It is above the line where we are beyond reproach. 
where we are forgiven of all of our sins, where it is below the line, where we don't at times act or think like we're beyond reproach and where we believe that we need to work really hard to be forgiven of our sins. And so it is below the line at times where our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes seem very inconsistent with what God says about us and what is true about us above the line. Below the line, our emotions fluctuate. Our needs are very loud. Our behaviors, they strain, they, they, they change, and we struggle with believing below the line what God says about us is true above the line. Now, why is this distinction important? Because I'm convinced that unless we understand that our true identity lies above the line, we will habitually draw our identity from our below the line performance whether good or bad. Listen, our failures, our sins, our mistakes, they constantly confront us. But listen, your behavior does not determine your behavior. Your behavior doesn't determine your identity. God does. If God calls you holy, are we gonna choose to believe God and allow that to affect our shoe leather? Or are we going to continue to allow our performance to identify and our sins to name us? See, one of the most difficult things about being a believer is believing God. Believing what God says about us is true. And so we can be Christians, right? We can be in Christ, living under the condemnation and the guilt of the enemy, trying really hard to become something that we already are. Holy, blameless, complete in Christ beyond reproach, failing to believe and appropriate that truth because we don't feel that way, because we're not acting like that way, because our circumstances don't seem to line up with what we're seeing. And, and this truth is also really important because it reveals why so many of you, including myself, can't find satisfaction and contentment outside of Jesus because we're trying to get an eternal need an above-the-line need met with a below-the-line reality. We're trying to get something created to meet an uncreated need in our hearts and in our lives. And listen to me, nothing, no matter how beautiful, no matter how touching, no matter how satisfying, that, that ultimately equals to life. Nothing below the line fills an above-the-line reality. And I know I'm speaking in concepts, but unless we understand that we are in Christ, through repentance and faith, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespass and God made us alive with Christ and raised us up and seated us in heavenly places in Christ. That's true about us now. We're seated in Christ. And yet below the line, we are learning to walk in these truths. And so Paul makes this distinction between being in Christ and being at Philippi. And so I found it helpful when I find myself in a really tough situation. Man, I am in Christ before I'm in this situation or whatever. See, this is the kind of truth that Paul held on to when we get to verses 12, 13, and 14 when he was in prison, right? And he says, I, I want you guys to know that my circumstances have worked out for the greater progress of the gospel. I can imagine someone saying, what do you mean, Paul? You're in prison. And I can imagine Paul saying, well, really, I'm a prisoner of Christ. You remember, I'm a bondservant. Well, you're not able to preach the gospel, Paul. And I can imagine Paul saying, well, actually, the whole Praetorian Guard, verse 14, is coming to faith in Jesus. 
Well, Paul, you, you are not able to freely go forth as you did before. And I, I can imagine Paul saying, no, I, I'm in Christ before I'm in prison. And I'm free to operate in the realm that God has me in right here and right now, offering my chains up to him. And so Paul says, I'm in Christ. We are in Christ, saints, in Christ at Philippi. Guys, you are in Christ at fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so we've got one verse so far, right? We know who we are, okay? We are saints. We know where we are. We are in Christ. Now, how is this possible? The gospel hangs on two truths. Verse two, grace and peace. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Listen, grace always precedes peace, okay? Grace always comes first. If there is no grace, we experience no peace, no peace with one another, no peace between God and man. So what is grace? Somebody give me one of those catchy definitions you picked up along the way. Unmerited favor, okay. Oh, y'all know that acrostic, come on. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. Scripture's clear, right? We are dead in sin, we show up. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5 that we show up dead in Adam, right? We are in Adam. We are sons of Adam. We show up with his spiritual DNA dead in our sins, spiritually disconnected from the life of God. And the beauty of the gospel is that grace, God came and he wrapped himself in flesh. Like the I am who lives above the line wrapped himself in flesh and came below the line and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death so that we could get out of Adam and into Christ. That's what Romans 6 is all about. God took our Adam life, put it on the cross with Jesus Christ and crucified it and raised us to walk in new life, the life of Christ. That's what it means to be placed in Christ. And all of that was an act of God moving in our direction. You have been saved by grace through faith and not of works lest any man might boast. And so we were sinners and now we're saints. We were dead and now we are made alive. We were separated from the life of God and God came to us and graced to us his life in Christ so we could come and be eternally joined to him. God, grace is God working in us and through us, things that we could never do apart from him. And so without grace, there is no gospel. Grace precedes peace. Now, what is peace? What is peace to you? Maybe peace is, is ceasefire in our neighborhoods, right? Maybe. Or peace is a, is, 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 is a cessation of activity, like, like going to the beach and just being still and hanging out. There's two words for peace in the Old Testament and New, shalom and irony. And both of them have the idea of contentedness, stillness, not external tranquility, but internal safety and security and comfort. Peace is all about this inner stillness and assurance that regardless of the circumstances that are happening around me, that God really is still seated on the throne and that he really hasn't forgotten me and nor does he lack the resources to meet my needs. You know, Philippians, man, has these just great life verses. Chapter four, we come to that passage where it says, and I know, I know, Paul says, that God will meet your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, that's where the riches are at, they're in Christ. You feel impoverished tonight? You're in Christ, you have all the riches that heaven has. Yeah, but I ain't got food on my table. Well, true, we can talk about that later. Because that's where the body of Christ is supposed to come in. But we are in Christ, 
he says. And so two truths, right? Two truths in which the gospel hangs upon grace and peace. Both come through repentance and faith and both lead to who we are, saints. They lead to where we are being in Christ and they ultimately lead to what we are called to. Bond servants. Back to verse one. See, that's the identifier for each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Cameron, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. David, Nathan, Ashley, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. That's where Paul's taking us throughout the rest of this letter. Dude's in prison and he's wrestling with God in chapter one saying, man, I really wanna go to heaven. I'm okay if Caesar chops my head off, but you know, it's really better if I stay in the flesh so I can be here for you. You serious? Paul's like, no, 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 no. I wanna serve you even though I'm in prison. It's better for me to stay here so I can promote the gospel. We get to chapter two and Paul's talking about, you know what, even if my life is poured out like a drink offering upon your faith and your service, I'm okay if my life is poured out for you. you see, Paul is modeling for us the broken bread and the poured out cup of Jesus Christ. Paul is the Eucharist. We are the Eucharist the broken bread and the poured out cup. This is the life of Christ. Remember what I told you from the first night we started talking about Philippians? This is the story of Jesus who indwelt Paul, who indwells you, who indwells me. And so grace and peace introduce us to this gospel that calls us holy and blameless and beyond reproach, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't act like it. Will you believe that? because I'm convinced that we life out what we believe is true about us. And if we be can begin believing that what God says is true about us, I promise you the motivations and the attitudes of your heart will begin to transform and you'll start wanting to fulfill what you believe is true about you. Do you know this grace? And I was meeting with a, a good friend of mine and a mentor and he said, Cameron, don't assume that everybody in the room knows Jesus. Listen, you can be at church, but not in Christ, okay? You can be at the drive and not in Christ. You can give money to the church, memorize scripture, and not be in Christ. Grace. Jesus coming and living a perfect life and dying the death that you deserve because you stand in hostility and opposition to a righteous and holy God. You are a sinner, and you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And Jesus said, I wanna give you life, eternal life. And remember, eternal life isn't something that gets screwed on to the end of our lives, so we live forever. Eternal life is only ever the life of Christ, the life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so through repentance and faith, acknowledging that I'm dead in my sins and placing faith in the work of Jesus on my behalf, the Bible says you will be made alive in Christ. Man, if you've never confessed that, if you're not sure what that means, please I mean, come and talk to me. Don't leave this place. People keep dying and there is an eternal separation where you will be apart from the life of God and all that is righteous and good and holy one day. But for those of us that know Jesus and have understood grace and peace, do you believe what God says about you is true? Holy ones, do you believe that you're righteous even when you don't feel righteous? Do you believe that you're complete in Jesus or do you believe that you're missing something? And so that's why, you're, that's why you're doing all of the things that you're doing. Again, trying to become something you already are, trying to get in a room that you're already in. 
Some of us need to believe the good news that you are loved and accepted and cared for in Christ and begin to revel in that and enjoy that and allow that to change your affections and your attitudes and your motivations. Are you willing to believe God over your feelings? (laughs) They're loud, but they only respond to external stimuli. And so I wanna choose to believe what God says. It is the first step to walking out what is true about us. So we're gonna pray, and then I'm gonna release you guys at your table to take, I don't know, seven to 10 minutes. We've got some small group questions, alpha male, alpha female, whoever you are, you guys can lead that discussion, okay? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we are who you say we are. Through repentance and faith, God, you pull us out of death itself and into light. You transfer us out of the the domain of darkness and you bring us into the kingdom of your son, the kingdom of light and life and hope and truth and righteousness. And so Father, as we keep this dialogue going around the table, I pray God that you would allow us to be transparent with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.